Oh Lord God, you teach us that without love, our actions gain nothing. Pour into our hearts your most excellent gift of love, that made alive by your spirit, we may know goodness and peace through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Maybe may be Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise God in the heights. Praise the Lord, all you angels. Sing praise, all you Praise the Lord, sun and moon. Sing praise, all you shining stars. Praise the Let them praise the name of the Lord who commanded, and they were created. Praise the Lord from the earth, you sea monsters and all deeps. Mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars. Sovereigns of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the world. Let them praise the name of the Lord, whose name only is exalted, whose splendor is over earth and heaven. The second reading is taken from the book of Acts, chapter 11, verses 1 through 8. Now the apostles and the believers who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also accepted the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him, saying, Why did you go to uncircumcised men and eat with them? Then Peter began to explain it to them, step by step, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. There was something like a large sheet coming down from heaven, being lowered by its four corners, and it came close to me. As I looked at it closely, I saw four-footed animals, beasts of prey, reptiles, and birds of the air. I also heard a voice saying to me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I replied, By no means. Lord, for nothing profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a second time the voice answered from heaven, What God has made you must not call profane. This happened three times. Then everything was pulled up again to heaven. At that very moment, three men sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were. The Spirit told me to go with them and not to make a distinction between them and us. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how we had seen, he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will give you a message by which you and your entire household will be saved. And as I began to speak... The Holy Spirit fell upon them just as it had upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, 
how he had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift that he gave us when he believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was as I, that I could hinder God. When they heard this, they were silenced, and they praised God, saying, then God was given, has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. Word of God, word of life. Please stand if you're able. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 13th chapter, verses 31 through 35. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and will glorify him at once. Little children, I am with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And as I said to the Jews, now I say to you, Where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Here ends the gospel reading. You may be seated. My talk this morning, my uh, sermon this morning is going to be based around the lesson from Acts that Larry read so well for us this morning. There's so many things in it, but it it, um, is easy to focus on a bunch of different things. So you'll pardon the couple of different ways we go this morning. One of my professors in seminary who I've mentioned before, Walter Brueggemann, who's an Old Testament scholar but has some of the most insightful comments about the New Testament of anybody around. He says about our story in Acts today, this is a staggering narrative on which the future of the church pivots. It is also an uncommon narrative, one that features a trance, a spirit, and an angel. Consequently, it will not fit any of our categories for trance, spirit, or angel. It will push us outside of the ordinary, outside the box of our control, our explanations, and our certitude, end quote. I think we need to think about how this passage moves us toward the forming idea that with the gifts given to us by God, all things become new. And when we slow down or stop the newness, that transformation, we're hindering God and God's desire to work in the world. You might now be thinking, we can't do that. We can't slow down God. God is all-knowing, all-doing, all-powerful. How can we hinder God? 
What I'm saying is that if we do anything but embrace the newness of the new commandment of John 13, 34, and 35, let me give you a new command. Love one another in the same way I loved you. You love one another. This is how everyone, everyone will be recognized that you are my disciples. You know, followers of Jesus, Christians. When they see the love you have for each other, if we do anything, anything less, anything less than that could be seen as hindering God or holding God back. That's what is so radical about this story. That's what's going on here. Peter's trance takes all the people of the church into a a kind of limbo. A place that is in between the old way and the new way. In between the old notion of what is pure and on what is unclean and this newness of what God now considers clean. The Acts story then tells us that the spirit follows after the trance. The spirit leads to a meeting with six brothers who are unlike us and causes the speaker to remember this notion of baptism into newness. Newness of life in Jesus Christ. This initial encounter between Peter and Cornelius seems to be in the context of Peter's vision. Peter's invitation to visit Cornelius' home in Joppa and Peter's actual visit to Cornelius' home. And the lesson from Acts this morning, Peter is retelling the events to justify his actions, it seems. And to help the gathered community in Jerusalem, this sort of new church, if you will, come to an understanding of life in Christ and the reasons for what he did. One scholar says, what is significant about this passage is that God is now doing something new and radical that seems to have caught both the disciples and the ancient Jewish believers by surprise. So if that's true, who are the people excluded from the table? Are there some who are automatically excluded? Martin Marty, the great church historian, says that this early church seems to have a problem with Peter's actions here in the book of Acts. It was not the baptism of the Gentile and unclean Cornelius, but, wait till you hear this word, commensality. What? To quote Martin Marty, many sociologists have made much of this word commensality, It basically means you share, or mensa, the table with someone else. Literally, commensality is the practice of eating together, a social group that eats together. Hmm, do we ever do that? (laughs) This practice in everyday living seems hard. Well, wait a minute, let me go back a minute. It's easy when it's our friends and our family, and those people that look like us, and those people that smell good. But the practice in everyday living seems hard, and too often that, that's, it, it's very hard to do, Martin Marty says. The homeless are not clean. People above us in class and status are snooty. Below us are rednecks and ill-mannered clods. Martin Marty, not Pastor Brown. And I would add, for goodness sakes, you're not going to ask me to eat with them. Because they smell. (laughs) 
What do our worshiping communities look like? And how do we extend hospitality to, at church and in our homes, how do we extend hospitality to all of those people that we're thinking about right now? Are we willing to be transformed, changed in ways that name that our lives are lacking in both areas because we exclude more than we include? As I was writing this, I remembered um, church camp last year when I joined them to go to um, the soup kitchen in Reading. And um, as we were sitting there, they made uh, back at the camp. They, um, with Jen Fink's um, help, they made delicious filling lunch for them. This kind of delicious um, lasagna noodles with all kinds of meat and vegetables and all that in there. And as we were sitting, then they encouraged us to go sit down and eat with the folks that were eating. And so um, all of our young people and those more experienced people um, all took a seat and started eating. And as we were eating, um, our friend Richard was there And Richard taught, in fact, he was Josh's German teacher, taught for many years. And this kind of street-worn person, tired-looking younger man, came over and sat down by Richard and asked him if he taught at Brandywine High School. And Richard said yes, in only the way that Richard could say yes. It was one of his former students who not only was now homeless on the street in Reading, but had enough courage to admit that to his former teacher, but also to reach out to his former teacher because he was certain, because he saw what he had done, what, they, what his friends were doing for this homeless man's friends by feeding them. No questions. Casual conversation. Ask our young people who were there. They they relished it. They loved sitting down and talking with these people. And those people loved to have the perspective of these, these bright young faces and some of these older guys too. Commensality. The practice of eating together. A social group that eats together even if it was uncomfortable and hard. As we search for those seeming exclusive, those seeming elusive, more people to add to our church, and we seek more diversity of relationships in our lives, we are, are, we, are we willing to receive the transformation that takes place to all of us to fully embrace the transformation and change that needs to always be be ongoing? Or are we resting on our rituals and relationships? Rituals and relationships that we hold on to as sacred cows that have transfixed us in static realities rather than in the dynamic realities of transformation that promises to make our lives that much richer. Do you believe that? Transformation makes us that much richer. What do I mean by transformation? Well, it's everything. We could, it could be some radical big thing that we do to the building. It could be um, the death of an important person in the congregation. 
But just as important is what we did last Sunday in baptizing Logan. And what it also does for us is it transforms us. Because we're never going to be the same again because we baptized Logan. Do you believe that too? We'll never be the same again. And that's a good thing. Remember, in the eyes of Jesus and in the eyes of his student and disciple Peter, there are no unclean people and no one is excluded. It's also very clear that this matter of inclusion is still a very volatile issue in the life and work of the church and in our everyday life and existence and in our politics. Think Methodist Church, think Missouri and Alabama and all the and Ohio. To assist in better understanding this, I turn to some, I turn to some questions posed by Mary Donovan Turner, who's a commentator and scholar. She asks us, does including the new or different mean we are letting go of the values that we have all, that have always defined us? Or do the values that define us compel us to be more inclusive and open? And then I would add, why is full inclusion of all people such, as, such a challenge in so many different directions? Such a challenge for, quote, the church, the church writ large, the whole church. And if we all believe in the same God, how come there's so much difference? I'm not going to answer it. You can, or you can try, or certainly please pray about it. It seems in our lesson today from the book of Acts that the majority of the ancient Jewish believers, the members of this brand new church, those ancient Jews who believed that Jesus was the Messiah, and they're wondering how the Gentiles were going to fit and be welcomed if they came to believe and expressed a wish to be part of the emerging forming church. Remember, Gentiles are, are anyone who are not Jewish, who are different than the majority, the them and us versus them. The welcome of these Gentiles is a big part of this story from this morning's story from Acts. One scholar says the authorization for Peter's action is unmistakable. Peter had received a vision from God which called him to minister to all people. There are no unclean people. So if there are no unclean people, who are the unclean who are not invited to be among us? What do we need to do to be more welcoming and more inviting? Do we have defining markers we use for declaring clean or unclean? It's one of those things that if you think about when you're reading the story, one of the marks between um, ancient Jewish believers and the so-called Gentiles was circumcised and uncircumcised. My question, and excuse me for being profane, always is, who checks? (laughs) Commentator Mary Donovan pushes us even further on the complexity of this topic of church and inclusion when she says, does including the new or different mean that we are letting go of the values that have always defined us, or do those values define us and compel us to be more inclusive and open? I repeated that on purpose. Some of you might say, oh, by saying, okay, that's all well and good, but what really, is trans- what really is transformation about? We're good at listening to and reading about transformation. We've read lots of books about it, um, but what's it like in application? Transformation in church includes everything that happens 
as I said, from the changes in the physical structure of the building to, to a change in worship time, trying a new style of new work, music and worship or a different liturgy, down to individual things, like I said, like baptizing Logan last Sunday. His inclusion in our community transformed it. Transformation of any kind means our church, the whole church, has been changed ever so slightly or very dramatically. But for sure, no matter the change, big or not so big, dramatic or routine, the change, the transformation means we, we as a church, will never be the same again. And that is an amazing and good thing, as I've said a couple of times already, because it's so important. When I think of transformation, the change of the life cycle of the butterfly comes to mind. You know what I'm talking about. The story of the butterfly and the transformation or metamorphosis as it moves through life stages brings surprises and unexpected outcomes. Most importantly, it results in a new thing that is both beautiful and free. Where you see transformation hinges on self-awareness and truth-telling. Self-awareness and truth-telling in our own lives, but also self-awareness and truth-telling in the life and work of Jerusalem Western Salisbury Church. Our seeming reluctance to see ourselves as we are, and sometimes that we, including this pastor, we are the ones who hinder the transformative work that is rooted in grace that needs to happen. It needs to happen for transformation to happen. It's true of me, it's true of all of us at one time or another. The angel invited them to a, quote, saving message, it says in verses 13 and 14. The ways the church is called, the way the church is invited to a newness in the Acts story. Again, Professor Brueggemann, the trance yields a new verdict on clean. The Spirit urges us that there is no distinction. The old distinctions have gone away and all things have become new. And then the angel offers a saving message. Who's being saved? You and me, all of us. So you see, this story in Acts is all about both the saving message and the new verdict about no distinctions. The remarkable summary is in verse 17. It is the same gifts that are given to them as to us. In the context of the act story, the them and us are Jewish believers and Gentiles, non-Jewish believers as the good news breaks beyond purity codes, but then projecting to out beyond the context of the story and into our world today, it becomes easy to come up with what we are talking about in contemporary terms. It pops into everybody's head in a different way. The no distinction of scripture is at odds with the amazingly polarized atmosphere in the us versus them condition that our world seems to exist in today. I don't need to go into any further about that because you can figure that out for yourself and watch it happen in front of your eyes. Just turn on the TV, flip around for a while, and you should get what I'm talking about in less than five minutes. Instead, the most important part of this message and the reason the text continues to be urgent, as urgent today as it was in the time of the story, is that that even the church, even the church finds endless ways to resist the teaching from Peter's trance, to reject the spirit and set up distinctions, distinctions that become our own creation. You see, these distinctions are by this definition old distinctions, 
Again, Professor Brueggemann, the old distinctions produce death everywhere by way of fear, of anxiety, of exclusion, and sometimes of violence. Imagine that we are all invited to the same gift, verse 17. No distinction, no privilege, no advance notice, and no advantage in better faith or better future. All are clean, end quote. Sisters and brothers, siblings in Christ, we are called to a different way. As followers of the risen Lord, a different way. As those redeemed through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Redeemer. A different way, beyond distinctions. A different way, beyond us versus them. A different way, and straight into the newness that is promised. For you see, all things, all things, all things have become new. As we are still in this season of Easter, this Easter tide. We recall the newness of life that came to all of us at Easter. We look to that newness of life, that transformative power, a true metamorphosis, the power of the redeeming Christ, the power to transform our hearts, the power to break the distinctions, the power to eliminate the difference, and most of all, most of all, the power to love one another, just as Christ has loved each one of us. Every one of us. Are you ready? See, all things, all things, all things have become new. Amen.